0: Hello, my name is Leslie Goodburn, I'm a Pancreatic Cancer UK supporter, and you're here today listening to some podcasts that we're doing. The reason that we're doing the podcast is because there are two small words, pancreatic cancer, two small words that actually have a massive impact on people, that cause devastation, that create psychological, emotional and physical pain. Before 2014, I didn't really know a great deal about pancreatic cancer. I knew that it was one of the cancers that had poor survival rate but that was probably all I knew. In 2014 my husband Seth was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, we were thrust into a world of palliative and end-of-life care and unfortunately 33 days after diagnosis Seth died from pancreatic cancer. Seth didn't really stand a chance, couldn't get treatment because actually the disease was diagnosed at such a late stage that there wasn't the possibility to have any other outcome than Seth was going to die. So after Seth died, spent a lot of time thinking about how to support Pancreatic Cancer UK to raise awareness of the disease, of the signs and symptoms, to raise money. So I spent the last four years working with various different organisations, getting GPs trained, raising funds through doing things with Emma Bridgewater Pottery, doing charity balls, um, standing in the the street during Awareness Month and giving out leaflets to raise awareness. Um, Last year, we did some work around patient stories. This year, we're doing the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts. The podcasts are designed to give everyone who listens to them an idea about what the pancreas does, why it's important, what its function is, what happens when cancer forms, what the signs and symptoms of the disease are, how people can recognise those signs and symptoms so that they can go to the GP and hopefully get diagnosed early enough for treatment to be an option. We're going to talk to some of the UK's leading clinicians, nurses, allied health professionals, experts in various different fields, and most importantly, we're going to talk to some patients and families who've experienced the disease so over the course of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, which is November, the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts will be broadcast and it will give you all an opportunity to understand the disease much better, to think about how you can support raising awareness going forward and to spread the word about pancreatic cancer and hopefully make sure that in the future many more people are diagnosed earlier and people are given the chance for treatment, the chance that Seth never had.
1: I'm Charlotte Foster, podcaster and journalist. And in today's episode of the uh, podcast, we're going to be looking at the support that is out there for anybody who has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Nikki Murphy is a cancer nurse specialist in pancreatic cancer, and she is working on the cancer support line for Pancreatic Cancer UK.
2: It has a huge emotional impact on both the person and their families because as i say often um when the pancreatic cancer is actually detected it can be too late to operate so at that point um the treatment the next line of treatment hopefully if they they're well enough is chemotherapy but to live with that diagnosis of an, in, an inoperable cancer can be really hard psychologically i was going to say you, you, it it's it's one of those things nobody wants to hear is
1: it you know first of all a cancer diagnosis and then to say and there's nothing much we can do to, to help apart from maybe prolong a life for as long as we can. Psychologically, how do people deal with this and how do you help them deal with it?
2: I think everybody deals with with it differently. I think it depends on you as a person. Um, some people are quite pragmatic about it. Other people, completely understandably, are devastated. Um, and there's almost a grieving process. So um, people can go through a whole degree of emotions that can be denial, um, just anger, feeling really angry at the diagnosis and and that it's happened to them. As you know, it's not something you ever expect to to be told. Um, And I just think the levels of anxiety for people that are living with a non-operable cancer can uh, can be really, really devastating psychologically. And so for us on the support line, our aim really is to be there for that person, to be there for their family, to give them as much information as we can possibly give them to make sure that they're getting the best treatment for them. Um, and just to kind of be there really from, you know, we, we get people who call us who are concerned about symptoms and we would advise them on what to do next. Um, right through treatment, be, be it surgery or chemotherapy or a clinical trial perhaps. Um, and and onto, to you know what whatever happens next life ongoing or if they um come towards the end of their life and even afterwards we'll support families afterwards as well
1: so it's really ongoing journey isn't it you're there from beginning to end and beyond
2: yeah it is it is very much um a journey as you say Charlotte that that we we hope to be involved in from from mm-hmm. as early as Possible, so you know if people are worried about symptoms, we would encourage them to call us. We can chat through what they're experiencing. We can give them advice on what what they need to do next um and also, as I say, people who have been diagnosed or their families, and we can talk through treatments, so often people might be having problems with symptoms um or they might be having side effects of treatment, so we can certainly give them information about that um and it's really just to arm them with information to go back to their clinical teams and discuss it's just knowledge and you know knowledge is power isn't it
1: it certainly is and I suppose as well you've mentioned all, all the clinical stuff but there's a lot of stuff that goes alongside a, a diagnosis uh, that, that people don't necessarily think about yes you've got your hospital treatments your, your medical uh, treatments but then there's also a lot of admin involved isn't there how can you help with that
2: There is. I mean, it's huge. And as you say, it isn't just the clinical perspective when someone has a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. There can be so many other elements involved. It it really does encompass so many different areas of someone's life. So it can impact on relationships. um, It can impact on body image. Often people could lose um, a significant amount of weight and that can be really difficult psychologically. Um, And as you say, paperwork, which is huge because Um, You know, often people will need to sort things out financially, be it through work or um, any insurance policies or things that they need to deal with. So as well as giving information clinically, we can certainly signpost people to different services um, to support them in in the process of of sorting out those kind of issues.
1: How did you get involved in starting working on, on the support line?
2: So uh, for me personally, I have been a qualified nurse now since 2006, um, and originally I went into district nursing, so I worked a lot with um, palliative patients in the community at home. Um, During that, I I did work with a lot of pancreatic cancer patients, and then I worked also in hospice, so I did that for a number of years, Um, and then prior to this role, I, I worked for another another cancer charity within a major city hospital. So um, that was general oncology. So I used to see people with all different cancers um, to offer support and information. So similar to the role that I'm doing now, um, but I actually came to Pancreatic Cancer UK because I could see how passionate the charity is about making a difference. Um, They really are forward thinking about changing things for people with pancreatic cancer investing in clinical trials, in re- investing in research um, and just supporting people as well. So that's really how I um, came to be involved. And I actually heard about the charity through my previous role and I was so impressed with the information that was provided to patients and the level of support that I just thought, well, that's something I want to be part of.
1: How hard is it to, to, to do your job? I mean, I couldn't imagine having to give out you know you you're talking to people who are going through one of the most difficult times of their lives how do you make sure you don't take that home with you and how do you keep going
2: yeah i mean it's uh, it can be difficult obviously we deal with a lot of very emotional phone calls um, and emails actually because we deal uh, we we speak to people through both through phone and email um we also have an online forum that we moderate Uh, So, yeah, it it can be very difficult. Um, People are going through a really, really tough time, probably the most, you know, sometimes for people it's the most significant time in their life. Um, And I think you have to have a degree of self-protection with that. So um, it's really important to be able to kind of separate work from your day to day life. But I just feel that the job is so rewarding because we make we know that we're making a difference to people and often just having that phone conversation for someone is so important just to be able to talk about how they're feeling to clarify anything they don't understand from hospital appointments or just to try and make sense really of what's happening so i think because the job is so um valuable the, and, and so rewarding as a nurse you know um you kind of deal with it that way but yes it, it can be difficult it can but it's just kind of about being able to separate I think that um you know your work from from your home life and not letting the two blur if you like
1: pancreatic cancer seems to be it's not something we talk about too often you we uh you know men are always told to check their bits women are checking their bits as well what can people do to understand what they should be looking for it, for the signs of uh, pancreatic cancer
2: yeah it's a good question and i think it is difficult um as i said before it is diagnosed late um often um it's not it so it's not picked up early enough which can uh, impact on the the kind of treatment that people can have so uh, I think one of the difficult things as well with pancreatic cancer, certainly compared to um, things like breast cancer or bowel cancer, there's a national screening program for those, and unfortunately we haven't quite developed a, a good enough screening test that would be able to to screen the the general population. Um, so obviously that that does impact on that, and I think. Um, Often people don't develop symptoms until a bit later on so I think the most important thing with pancreatic cancer is that people are are aware of it, they know about it, they talk about it and that they know what the symptoms are and if they recognise any of those symptoms in themselves or maybe a loved one that they make sure that they get checked out. So, yeah, I think awareness is the biggest thing, Charlotte, is just that we get it out there, we get people reading our information, we get them seeing the posters, so they just know what to look out for.
1: So when it comes to symptoms, what should we be looking out for?
2: Okay, so some of the symptoms that you would be um, concerned about would be loss of appetite, um, problems digesting food, so feeling full quickly when eating, lots of wind changes to bowel habits, um, that could be that you're going more frequently or you're having problems going to the toilet, feeling and being sick, um, abdominal pain that radiates around the back, Um, and recently diagnosed diabetes um, with no real other cause, that would be one that we would look out for. And I should also mention Charlotte jaundice, um this is when your skin um takes a yellow a yellow tone to your skin darker urine your skin can become itchy and if this happens you really should go and see your gp or go to a and get checked out immediately
1: and no one's going to complain at your doctors for turning up and asking for for advice or help are they you, you no one's to worry
2: no definitely not definitely not i mean that's what we're there for there's um You know, I I hear it over and over again. Well, I didn't want to bother the doctor, or that's what we're there for, that's what the doctors are there for. And we would, you know, encourage anybody, if you're concerned, give us a call. We can talk through your symptoms, we can talk about what to do next, but go and see your doctor, go and see your GP and have a chat.
1: So, what is the number then if anyone does want to, to call you for some advice?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you can call us free phone on 0808 801. Zero seven zero seven, or you can also email us at nurse at pancreaticcancer.org.uk
1: I think the best way I can explain to you about the importance of this support line is actually not for me to explain to you at all. It is to bring in someone who is using the line and that person is Steve Essex. Steve is 58. He's been using the support line since he was diagnosed earlier this year.
3: I'm a fairly outgoing character. Um, My life's really evolved around sport. I'm very outgoing and prepared to try various things. I've got a pretty busy social life. Um, I love travelling. I love reading. I love being involved in in volunteering, which I've been heavily involved in the last two years. I've I, I enjoyed my career, but being retired is the best thing I ever did at fifty five. Um, it's given me the opportunity to just wake up each day and do what I want to do. Uh, I know I know I'm a little bit fortunate to be able to retire at fifty five, but it's it's due to what we've done as a family that, that we can do that. Um, so really, I'm kind of I'm I'm a big, tall guy, and I, don't, I guess I, I look at myself. I'm I'm pretty larger than life, really.
1: I'm going to be dead nosy. Which sports are you into?
3: Yeah, football and golf, really, the big ones. I played a fair bit of cricket as a as a child as well, but kind of I'd do anything, you know. And football was the one I focused on, and I ended up being um, semi professional for about fifteen years. Oh, who did you play for, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I started one or two. Local teams in this area, which is like Wolverhampton United and Malvern Town and and Gresley Rovers. And then finally, I got a reasonable move to Burton Albion, which was was a fairly big club at that time. And then from there, I went on to Stafford Rangers, which were in in the conference. And then I played for Hensford for my last three years, which was fantastic, really.
1: So certainly very active then and very much engaged in, in lots of stuff.
3: Yes. And as soon as my football career finished... Um, I, I then joined a golf club which I always wanted to do for all my life and I, I played for the next 15 years at a golf club which was really a substitute for my Saturday. Um, I've got a very understanding wife obviously and family uh, and that was the, the buzz that I missed on a Saturday I got from the golf on a, on a Saturday. Um, not the same buzz but it really helped.
1: And then this year you got a diagnosis of bile duct cancer wasn't it?
3: Correct, yeah. So this, this year's um, <clears throat> hell of a hell of a shake-up, as you can imagine, Charlotte. Um, up until probably the end of May, I was still playing golf once a week, very, very active with, with the things I do. So I generally walk. Without the golf, I walk 20 miles a week. Um, and then suddenly um, my life changed, really.
1: <clears throat> How did you – well, what was it that first sort of – I say tipped you off, you know. What I mean, sort of just nudged you into thinking something's not quite right. Yeah, I
3: started. I started getting pains in my in my stomach area, <clears throat> and I started. Um, I started thinking about food and what food I really wanted, and, and sometimes I'd look at my dinner. Um, I've always been a person who's ate very very well all my life, and suddenly I started looking at my dinner, thinking I, I don't really fancy that. Um, oh, I'm not sure I want that, and then after that sometimes after i'd eaten i would have pains in my stomach so i was kind of scared about eating food because i knew that something else was coming so i mean fairly fairly quickly i knew that there's something wrong charlotte um and at that time i then started to lose weight which which i guess you look back and you think well he's just saying he's not eating like he was and suddenly that was a real shock that i'd lost weight um because i've i've kind of as as most men do, and I think women probably the same, but you go through that age over fifty where it's really difficult to lose any weight. And I'd kind of edged up. I'm I'm sixteen I was sixteen stone and suddenly I'd edged up to sixteen stone thinking I've got here very, very easily from fifteen. I think I need to take a little bit back. So I was trying I've probably tried for eight to ten years to lose half a stone and I couldn't. And I couldn't. So suddenly I'd had a sorry, I'd had a dramatic loss in weight. Um, and really, when I look back, that is probably the trigger that the doctor should pick up on more.
1: This is going to sound terribly stereotypical, but how long did it take for you to go to the doctor's?
3: It didn't take long, actually. I'm perfectly, I'm It didn't take long. It probably took me just over a week. I knew there was something wrong. I knew there was something seriously wrong. When I first went to the doctor's... <clears throat> Um, it, she was a junior doctor that I saw, and she went straight in for blood tests. Now, at that time, I think, I haven't gone back and checked, but I think she was looking for sort of bugs in the tummy and saying that, well, let's rule out the simple things first. Um, so that took a couple of weeks for to book the test and, and get the results. I then went back for the results and uh, sort of a different junior doctor, and he said, well, we, we need to – there's nothing in the uh, blood tests that show a problem. So we need to see how you are in a couple of weeks. And, and you can imagine now we, 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 we're moving on. Now it's getting like six weeks down the line. And I've still got exactly the same. Um, the next, the third appointment I booked. So I'm now probably 10 weeks in. Um, I saw one of the senior doctors and told her the story. She cut straight to the worst case scenario and went to let's have cancer check which which for me was quite a shock but when i look back now i almost wish obviously that it was in reverse because i think if if they'd have gone very very serious on the first or second appointment it would have made things a lot quicker than than it was
1: and when that that doctor eventually turned around and said let's think let's check for cancer yeah what went through your mind at that point
3: I think all the devastating things that can go through your mind but um, at that time Charlotte because I'd be, because I'd been waiting then for six, eight weeks, probably eight weeks, and it wasn't getting any better, everything was the same. I'd lost the weight, I was still struggling with the food, I felt exactly the same. It was getting it to me it was getting more and more serious. So when she mentioned cancer, it didn't although it is dramatic and it does shake you, it was like almost in a in a weird, weird way. A bit of relief that well yeah we're going the right direction now there's something serious here so it was devastating yes but it was also to me at that time a little bit of relief that somebody was concentrating on something that needed to be done you know so then um she the doctor got me an appointment to see a oncology specialist in new cross hospital my closest hospital and that probably took again another couple of weeks um, when I saw the lady, she said, well, I've got to go through, I've got to go through a, a, a series of tests, uh, endoscopy, colonoscopy, ultrasound, probably CT, probably MRI, to check various things out, because at this stage we have no idea what it is. Um, so then she put me on a waiting list, and it probably took me another week then to, to make contact with the hospital to, to book any of these tests. But during that period, unfortunately, I'd, I had a couple of black stools over the weekend, so I then admitted myself on the Monday morning before these tests were booked into the A&E in New Cross, and then I was submitted straight into hospital. Um, at that stage, they initially thought it was an ulcer, a duodenum ulcer, which it wasn't. I think they then went on to um, they then went on to gallbladder and gallstones. They were really worried about my liver. There were serious questions around the liver and what was actually happening in that area. I was in hospital then for 10 days. During that period, I had all the um, ultrasound, CT scan, MRI scan, two endoscopies, one with a biopsy. And they finally came up with the diagnosis that it was, at that stage, they thought it was um, adenocarcinoma pancreatic cancer with some issues around the bile duct area as well. Now, um, I think every, that was um, at the end of July. I think to prove that this has been really complicated is that they've just actually confirmed now in Birmingham that they believe it's, it's uh, cholangiocarcinoma and the pancreas is clear.
1: How has that waiting and that uncertainty affected you and your family?
3: Oh, it's been very, very difficult, um, Charlotte. You can imagine, um, starting from having the pains and saying it was serious. You, you, I kept saying it was serious, but you think, no, it's not serious. Do you know what I mean? You keep telling yourself, no, it can't be serious. But then, the longer the weeks went on, it was like, yeah, this is more serious. Um, as the the period in the hospital grew longer, again, it was starting to become more and more serious. And I will, I will never, ever, and my wife will never, ever forget the day that the. Um, gastroenterologist came to see us on July the 28th and said that the the, the, the diagnosis was incurable and inoperable and at that stage announced that I'd got either 4 months without chemo or hopefully 12 months with chemo um, that was probably the most devastating day I've ever had in my life um, we cried as you can imagine a lot um, <clears throat> but from then it's been it was frustrating to that point. And from then, unfortunately, it's been a little bit frustrating as well because what the what the gastroenterologist did was um, make an appointment with the oncologist who I was going to be transferred to for my cancer chemo treatment. Um, and then when we saw uh, New Cross for that appointment, I was told again that it was going to have to wait six weeks then for him to start chemotherapy, which we were, again, devastated really because the, the oncologist was telling us that we'd got some cancer that he thought was aggressive and we needed to get treatment going but they couldn't do anything about offering me chemotherapy any quicker than 6 weeks so I didn't start chemotherapy until the middle of September
1: So you're told you've got at best 12 months to live and then yeah. you put on a waiting list
3: Yeah 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 I just I just think we felt I can't we
1: were... begin to imagine if we were I'm devastated yeah.
3: absolutely devastated <laughs> Um, and just trying to come to terms with things—it's been difficult, you know. We've been on hell of a, an emotional ride, you know. As I think I said previously, when when, when people talk about cancer, you—let me talk for myself. You you acknowledge that somebody's got cancer, but tend to think, well, I don't need to go too deep because it's not me—I haven't got it. I, I, I'm okay, sort of thing. You've obviously got the empathy and the sympathy, but it's not you. Do you, you, you understand me? Um, but when it is you. You're suddenly in that position where you're in like um, you're in a fog, I would say, and there's so much around you. There's so much information. There's, there's information about diets. There's information about treatments. There's information about recuperation. There's all sorts of information, and and you're trying to you're trying to take it all in during a period where you've just been devastated, um, and I have to say, this is where Pancreatic UK have been absolutely incredible. Um, let me just step back a bit. One of the roles that I've done during my volunteering is to support a small charity based in Stoke-on-Trent called Beth Johnson Foundation. <clears throat> they are a charity that support people with cancer and they they use three or four uh, advocates and then support the advocates are supported by volunteers like myself. So when they go particularly to a first appointment, the volunteer supports the advocate to see the the uh, client who's got cancer, and then they talk through whichever way the client would like support, whether it's financial advice, uh, transport, anything really. Um, and I re- I supported a, a really useful organisation. Now, when when I was poorly, Beth Johnson contacted Pancreatic UK without me even knowing. Um, And on one of the early days when I came back from the hospital with my diagnosis, Pancreatic UK phoned me. And I mentioned earlier the fog. Suddenly I'd got somebody who spoke to me, who knew exactly where I was, who gave me great advice and really helped me during a period where we were lost. We were really, really lost. And um, I'll never be able to thank Jenny and Diane more for what they've done for me because... They really, every time I need them, I just email or I call and they're always there. They always respond. They always come back. And I'm, I'm just, it is a fantastic service that people need to use even more. Yeah,
1: this is the, the support line, isn't it? It is not it That That Pancreatic Cancer UK offer. It is. And tell me a little bit about what it was like first talking to me. You said like it was like the fog, was it the fog lifting? And now yeah. it's just because there's lots of technical terms there's medical there terms out there, there and neither there of is. us are doctors are we let's be honest and absolutely. it's just understanding those things isn't it
3: unbelievably so you absolutely right uh, Shirley. so <clears throat> I say it's like coming out of a fog it was like as though somebody was there to support me because you do feel you're in that fog and you're on your own and I'm with my wife and my family and as much as people care and I know they do they do but they can't help you like, because because of what I said, because I believe people go to a certain point and, and then they don't want to know anymore because it's cancer. So you're on your own. So when somebody like Pancreatic UK, who know everything, talks to you, it's suddenly like you've got a friend, you've got somebody who's there for you, who who will answer your questions. And the support they gave was first class, you know. Um Without me wittering on too far, let me tell you that, previously my wife had lost a very very good friend through cancer very similar age and when she was first diagnosed a friend of ours said to us um i think she should go and get a second opinion you know um now bear in mind that the, the lady that we talked about worked at the hospital we we both came away from the discussion we'd had with our other friend and said well why does she need to go and have a second opinion you know because She works at the hospital. Surely, you know, the the doctors know what they're doing. Surely the the hospital know what they're doing. She's in the right place. And that's exactly, Charlotte, exactly as me and my wife thought at that time. When, When then, months later, I was diagnosed, and when we spoke to Pancreatic UK, we both had that light bulb moment because Pancreatic UK said, why don't you go and get a second opinion? And we thought, why do we need a second opinion? And they said, this is the biggest thing you're ever going to be diagnosed with why shouldn't you have a second opinion and it just changed our thought process completely so then they recommended somebody that we go to see in birmingham Um, they looked at the report that was produced from wolverhampton and said that they tried to analyze the report and said they found it really difficult which was slightly worrying because we know how many reports pancreatic uk look at and if they find it slightly confusing We've got no chance because it really was full of technical terms. So, again, they recommended that we have interpretation on that report, which was absolutely first-class advice. So we followed the suggestion from pancreatic. We got a second opinion in Birmingham. We had the report interpreted as well as we could and questions asked around it. And that's how the diagnosis has now changed. So um, now we've transferred our care to Birmingham. And we're under the guy that we saw as our second opinion.
1: Being told, going back to, to being told you've got 12 months to live. Yeah. <clears throat> what goes through your mind? Do you, is it desperation or do you go, right, I'm going to sort out whatever I can and pack everything into 12 months?
3: I think you get, uh, uh, there's lots, there's lots. You get a lot of anger, you know, because suddenly... We've got lots of plans, you know, as I said to you, I've I retired at fifty five my wife is due to retire at the end of this year, so she'll probably retire now immediately. um you get you get lots of different things because it's it's why may why can't I finish the rest of my life? Why can't I see my daughter walk down the aisle? What about grandkids <laughs> um it's it's um then you start to think, well, I need to pack everything in like you suggested. We need to get sorted. Then you go back to, well, I actually don't feel very well. I need to be better. So really, out of all this now, if I crystallise it, I just want to make myself better. So I just want to feel better so that I can go and do some things. I can't say at the moment what I can do, but we are are hoping to be able to go and do some of the holidays that we wanted to do. But I need to be well enough to be able to do it. Now, as we've progressed... Charlotte I'm fortunate so far I don't want to get carried away but for the last six weeks I've got better and better since I've been on the chemo I am getting better and better it's not just the chemo we've done other things we've changed the diet Um, so all through that period of of devastation your mind's changing really but I would say at the end of it for me I've got to the point where I just want to be better and go and do a few normal things and, and some of the things that we said we'd do
1: I guess normal things don't really count as
3: talking on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought I'd be here, Charlotte, talking to you.
1: I did get in touch with the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust. That's the trust that runs the hospital in Wolverhampton that Steve was talking about. Uh, A spokesperson gave me a statement saying, although we cannot comment on individual cases, we do welcome patient feedback on their experience whether it be positive or negative. We would ask Mr Essex to contact our PALS department for us to investigate any concerns. They do go on to give me the, the way of getting in touch with their PALS department. Um, that detail will go in the uh, podcast description. Um, and if you're not sure what PALS are, it's the Patient Advice and Liaison Services Um you can get in touch with pals across the country. Um, they help provide information, advice and support to patients, families and their carers. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, I loved talking to Steve. He We, had, we did have some good giggles when we were chatting and um, he, like he says, that support line helped lift the fog for him. Remember we've got more episodes coming throughout the rest of the month of all November because it is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on any of those episodes then what you need to do is you need to subscribe and while you're subscribing why not give us a little review a little rating as well and let us know what you think of these podcasts love to hear your feedback so remember subscribe a little review And you won't miss out on any of the podcasts that are coming up throughout the rest of the month. Also, go to our website, purplerainbow.co.uk for a bit more information as well.